Welcome to Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast. The podcast where two dudes dive into cinematic masterpieces from a different decade each week. From black and white classics to modern day blockbusters, we'll be covering it all. This season, we'll be focusing on psychological thrillers. And our movie this week comes from the 2010s. It's a movie about trauma. It's a movie about violence minus the violence. It's You Were Never Really Here. Rick, why don't you go ahead and give a little recap on what this movie is all about. So this movie takes us into the mind of a man with a particular set of skills, Park. Is this Taken, The Equalizer, The Commuter, literally any Liam Neeson or Denzel Washington movie? No. This is something completely different. It's about a man with a traumatic past who rescues a girl. I know this sounds familiar, but we have hammers, jelly beans, flashbacks, and flashbacks, and flashbacks. So many, in fact, it begs the question, is this a clinic and flashback storytelling, or is it just a seven-year-old trying to tell a story? Oh my, Rick. Oh my. <laughs> Woo! Coming with the heat early on. Park, I don't think I don't think I roasted a movie this much straight off the bat. I mean, you always have been the one that's a little more hardcore on these films. I send I tend to be the more lenient one of the two. Um, but you're just right out of the gate. Right out of the gate. And I think it's just because of me and like we'll get into what this movie's all about and everything like that. It just made me frustrated. <laughs> I feel like I should be in like a two-person movie theater in like South by Southwest for like something that no one really wants to see, but it's just at, it's just there. I think that's the beauty of this, though. Especially like our goal is not to just pick the movies that we've seen and love, but to try and find movies that neither of us have seen that have at least some critical acclaim and take a watch of them and see what we think and. Obviously, it didn't. It, at least I'm going to assume it didn't land the best for you. And uh, we'll find out how it landed with me soon enough. But I think uh, that's the beauty of Two Dudes, One Movie podcast. Don't you think, Rick? It is. And, like, and maybe I have an unpopular opinion. Like, again, this movie's highly rated on Rotten Tomatoes. It's highly rated on most uh, kind of like movie rating websites, popular ones. Like, I've only heard good things about this movie. Until now. Until now. <laughs> so, Park. Let's, uh, let's dive in a little more. I gave a little brief shallow of what this movie's about. Maybe there's more to it. Maybe there's not. How about you tell me what it's all about? Well, you know, this movie does have a message. And there is a lot of complexity to what it's trying to say. Um, very similar to last week's movie, this is a movie about trauma. This is a movie about the repercussions of trauma. And the toll violence has on an individual. Uh... First and foremost, Joe is a veteran um, that suffers from PTSD. We get that through some flashbacks, Rick, uh, throughout the film. um, Just some brief moments of his time in the service. But now in modern day, he works works for hire to take out dangerous man, take on these dangerous jobs, hurt people, you know, try and find meaning in his life by taking care of people who can't protect themselves in a sense. But this movie isn't about action or spectacle it is completely and solely devoted to being a character piece that focuses on the aftermath of the violence that it endures that the character endures that's why so many scenes linger on joe after a violent act and so many acts of violence take place off screen it's a complete subversion of expectations The best examples of this in the film come from the two scenes where Joe is going to infiltrate, like, the bad guy's headquarters. 
He goes in. You expect it to follow him with like a steady cam and have all this action spectacle. And the first place he breaks into, it all takes place with these security camera footage up in the corner, night vision footage, not glamorized action spectacle at all. And like sometimes it cuts away from the violence, sometimes it's cutting after the violent fact has happened, but it's not really highlighting the violence itself. And then the second time being at the climax of the film when he infiltrates the estate, almost the entire time he's walking through that estate, it's cutting through after the violent event has taken place, after the bad guy is bloody, beaten, and dead on the ground. In a nutshell, I, I think that is what this movie is all about, and it really decides to lean in on that message and takes those creative liberties to show a specific side of trauma and violence that you don't see often in film. But for the betterment of the film, that's another question. So, Buck, I agree with you and everything it's trying to say, but it's like, like, you ever hear someone try to, like, speak with, like, duct tape on their mouth? You can, like, kind of hear what they're trying to say, but nothing's actually, like, you can't really hear anything. <laughs> that's, that's, to me, what was watching the movie. Like, I knew it was a movie about trauma. I know, dude, so many flashbacks. I'm never a person that loves flashbacks in movies. This one felt like a very, 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 very cheap way to set a tone, and it's, like, to bring the message of PTSD it, it felt like very, like, cheap flashbacks. It almost felt like the director was using it as a crutch for us to, like, know where we are in the story rather than, like, diving more into Joe's mind. That's at least how I took of it. That's fair. Um, I felt like it could have been told a bit differently. I mean, each time it's, it's showing a traumatic experience and it's just, like, highlighting, like, uh, oh, here is this traumatic experience that he endured and here's this traumatic experience that he endured. And then, to an extent, it, it's cutting back to present day to show how that traumatic experience now affects his behavior and what he does in the present. And definitely, I just think it's done... I mean, I just think it's done too much. Uh, like, and we see movies all the time that are like, there's these brilliant flashback sequences, and that, I think there's a lot of brilliance in like the simplicity of flashback sequences. I think the all-time greatest flashback sequence in a movie is the end of Ratatouille. It's right <laughs> when the guy eats the Ratatouille and he just flashbacks into like a smaller version of himself. Like, I just, or the smaller version, the child version of himself, I guess the smaller version. I don't even know what I was trying to say there. <laughs> you know, a child is a smaller version of yourself, Rick. <laughs> it is. That is so true. you're not wrong. You're actually 100% correct. But I think it was like atmosphere. I think that's the thing. When I think of that Ratatouille, like flashback, you are a child with him, right? Like you're in, you're in this spot. You're not like looking at him in a way. I don't know. I want you to tell me, do you have like a favorite, a favorite all-time flashback sequence? Or maybe even just a movie that does flashbacks really well. Two come to my mind. Uh, first would have to be the flashback in Up, kind of showing the flashback of the old man's relationship with his wife. Very beautifully done. Also very sad. It's a tearjerker. It's a, it's a true, honest-to-God tearjerker, Rick. Another one that popped into my head, though, was um, The Sixth Sense. That opening sequence, which... You find out later to be, you know, a real flashback, but it plays it off so well that... It's a good reference. Yeah, it doesn't even come off as a flashback, and then, I don't know, it's just really well done and how it seamlessly is incorporated into the story, and is, then is used brilliantly for its twist. Spoiler alert, there is a huge plot twist in that film. If you don't know what it is yet, that is amazing. Actually, Rick, I have to say, I watched that movie about six or seven years ago, and I didn't know what the plot twist was. So I actually got to experience that firsthand 
and it was wild. My wife still doesn't know what the plot twist is. We just haven't watched it yet. Oh, Rick. We gotta well, watch you're going to have to watch it before this podcast comes out. She knows there's going to be a twist in it. Well, she knows there's a twist. She doesn't know what the twist is. Oh, okay. But I guess that in the end, that's like a spoiler in itself. But that's a spoiler in itself. I didn't even know there was a twist in it, Rick. That's how blind I was going to do it. It was the best thing ever. I guess the Titanic is literally a flashback movie, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's the best flashback movie. A movie that is an entire flashback. Like, the entire movie is, is actually a flashback. It just little cuts forward. A flash forward movie. It just bookends, like, the, the movie with the present day stuff. Yeah. So, I guess, like, even in just discussing it now, I just don't think I felt anything for Joe. I don't think I felt anything for any of these characters, except there's one character that I had compassion for. And I've and I and it was a little emotional, Park. Who's that? Do you have a, you want to guess? You want to guess who this character is? Uh, is it the little girl? It's not the little girl. Well, that's bad that I didn't have compassion for the little. <laughs> Rick has no compassion for. Maybe if she was a little person, <laughs> then Rick would have compassion, but not a not a child. Well, I guess. Well, I mean, that area of the movie is very dark, so of course I had compassion for the little girl. I think when I go to main character sequences, the first thing that pops in my head. Is there's this little scene of like Joe? He comes to find out his like mom dies. Um, dies. Her mom. His mom got murdered by a hitman, and then he like injured the hitman, and then the hitman and him are just like laying on the ground like singing together. And I was like, wow, I think I learned so much more about this hitman than I learned about anyone else in this movie in that moment. Yeah, that was that was actually a really well done sequence from the film, in my opinion. Really kind of lets the character sit there and resonate after the violence is endured and like you have to kind of just rest in it they kind of vibe for a second too they're jamming they did i mean that's how i hope i go out when i die is singing i'm singing singing to the grave do you be like murdered but then like right before you die you and the person sings or just like a silent like you're you don't know when you're gonna die but you're just you're kind of singing i don't want to be murdered I'll, I'll put that out there. I don't want to be murdered. So I guess more of the second one. I was thinking more like I'm in my 90s and I'm laying on, in a hospital and, you know, all my family's around and we're singing like American Pie or Piano Man or something. You think you're making it to, 90, to your 90s park? No, Rick. I don't know if I'm going to make it to my 30s, to be honest with you. <laughs> we'll just we'll have to see. My hope is I want a I want a decade of being retired, and then I feel like I'll be at peace. You say that now, but when you're retired, you're going to be like, a decade is way too fast. I just feel like even if I win the lottery and I can retire tomorrow, I just need a decade. Wow. That's a hot take, Rick. You're always filled with hot takes. I had one good, it was just that scene. <laughs> yeah. um, actually, in our notes, I wrote nothing. I kind of came up with that one a little on the spot. Um, Park... I see you have you have a bit of notes, so tell me, what is good? Yeah, I have a few goods from this movie. Like a lot of my goods, I thought it had a strong opening uh, to the movie, and it sets up this idea of you're in Joe's headspace really well through POV shots and how you hear his breathing and different things like that, just kind of making it feel like you are Joe at the beginning. So it, it sets the tone, it sets the the vibe for you are in this character's headspace and this is what it's going to be all about. So I thought that that was really well done. I thought that that was good. I thought Joaquin's performance um, was also well done. 
I'll agree with you that he was great in it. I don't think... I don't want to bash... I, I never want to bash directors. I never want to bash, like, all these people that contribute to the movie. I mean, I just... I feel like he was probably given... A, it just feels like he was given almost a loose script, and it was like, okay, Walking Phoenix, go be Walking Phoenix. Rick, if there's anybody you should bash, it should be the creatives of a film. Never bash the below-the-line people because they work hard to do their job, and they're just there to... You know, make the lights look good and set up flags and roll the camera. But the creatives, that's their responsibility is to tell a compelling story. So you can bash them all day long if they make a bad film. I'll do that. Honestly, I feel like my go-to is bashing directors, even if it's like none of their responsibility. <laughs> I feel like if I see a, a, an extra doing something dumb, I just bash the director, even though the director doesn't really have too much power there. I know. I guess they, they have all the power. But they, they do, also... but again, yeah, it's something we talked about before. They do and they don't. And I understand the movie. It's like the director... I don't even know who directed this movie. I am very ill-prepared in this for this podcast as to where I was a previous podcast. I think it's because, man, I just did not like it. I This is the worst movie, in my opinion, that we've watched this season. Wow. And we've watched some crazy ones that I would never watch again. I obviously would never watch this one again. But there was other ones that, like, I was so curious to say, like, oh, what was the director thinking here? What, or, like, why is the story this way? And, like, this movie, I don't think it added more questions. The only thing I was looking up is, like, why is this a movie? <laughs> Gosh. Well, that is a great question, Rick. <laughs> I wish I had an answer for you. You never know. Anyways, continue. I'll cut you off. The other thing that I liked, I enjoyed the relationship between Joe and his mother. And it's funny how it also made a reference to Psycho. Yeah, I like that. In this film, which is one of the other films that we watch. And obviously it knew the genre it was trying to take part in. You, normally writers and directors will be very intentional on those type of things by showing a specific movie or referencing a specific movie. It's meant to say something about their own film. Um, and obviously Psycho has a very interesting mother-son dynamic. And I think this movie also has a very interesting mother-son dynamic and kind of how Joe's character can go from hanging himself to a closet to cleaning up stuff with his mother in the kitchen. Um, it's uh, very jarring and interesting, but I, I will say I did like the mundaneness of their relationship. But those are my main goods. I know you were ripping into it already, but do you have any specific bads or uglies that you want to talk about? <laughs> so I, I'm almost on the opposite side with the relationship between Joe and his mother. I don't like, I like the relationship for the idea it could have set up in the story. As I kind of was saying before of things that it was trying to say, I think it could have, I think they could have done more. I, I wish it explored their, I wish it explored the mother more. I thought it was going to be a lot I guess more of a personal story. Like, it's almost interesting to bring up Psycho, and I obviously was referenced to the movie you just brought up, that reference right now. We know, we learn more about, like, son and mother relationship in Psycho, even though the mom isn't even in it, more than this movie, and the mom's actually in it. If you compare literally any movie to Psycho, it's going to be rare that it actually stacks up to it, because that movie's obviously a genius. So I don't want to, like, knock it because it doesn't stack up to that, right? I thought you were going to say if you compare any movie to Psycho, then you're literally a psycho. And I was going to be like, but <laughs> Rick. You're, you're asking me, yeah, particular things that are bad. I, I mean, I wrote everything. I would go... <laughs> I'm, looking at, I'm looking at your notes right now. Rick's good. Nothing. Rick's bad. Everything. 
I'm like trying to look at your notes to like pick out things for myself because I just like can't even think of like very particular things. It just didn't work as a whole for you at all, did it? No, it just didn't work, man. It's a very artsy film in the sense of it's really trying its darndest to visually show in a medium what trauma is like for an individual and what it's like to experience that firsthand. And that doesn't necessarily make it an enjoyable movie watching experience, I think is a good way, is at least how I would say it. Dude, honestly, this movie just left me not trusting Rotten Tomatoes anymore. Yeah. Rick, uh, do you have anything to say about Rotten Tomatoes? Because I remember when you first finished watching this movie, you sent a little rant, a little text rant. I did. I brought up that text because I felt like, first, I want to read... Please. I, I'm just going to read the text and then we'll, we'll dive in a little bit. Because this, this was my initial reaction. Because we picked this movie particularly because it was... It's 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, trailer looks good. Also, love... I will say, only positive. It came from the trailer. Into the trailer, their hashtag for the movie, like the, I guess the hype hashtag for Twitter, is hashtag bring your hammer. <laughs> is it really? Yeah, it has nothing to do, like, obviously the hammer is in the movie, but it has nothing to do. Who's hashtagging bring your hammer for this movie? <laughs> and it feels like it should be a Thor movie hashtag. Rick, you should like, you should Google that hashtag and see what was, what was tweeted about it. Particularly this movie, and honestly, probably a I would have to go back and see other movies that we watched that maybe we did or didn't like or were kind of iffy about. This movie's 89% on Rotten Tomatoes and it's a 64% audience score. I used to, before this movie park, I would heavily, heavily rely on the tomato meter. That would tell me, is this movie good or is this movie bad? If it was between 30 and 60%, I would never watch it. Because that just means that's like it's mediocre. I love really bad movies because it's fun to make fun of and I love really good movies, you know? So this movie is 89% Rotten Tomatoes, audience score is 64%. I texted you, I think I've really learned that the audience score matters more than the tomato meter. And if the tomato meter is 20 points higher than the audience score, then that means it's an art house master shit piece. Well, Rick, I guess that this film is uh, leaning into your theory right there. You can look at so many more movies. I also, I've not seen the Mario Bros. movie yet. I just know currently on Twitter and I've seen elsewhere that people are slamming critics because it's a 53%. Uh, at, this is as of yesterday. It could have went down or up. On Rotten Tomatoes and the audience score, I think, is 97, 98%. So it's just like, when it's when there are these crazy differences, and I'll say 20%. If there's a 20% difference, I feel like, and now I'm just never going to trust it. First of all, I think that critics have like such an agenda these days. Um, and, like, we can even dive into all the agenda and all the Oscars and all the crap that goes into it. You almost have to, like, campaign your movie. And, like, movies plan, I think, what critics will, t- will say the first thing about their movie, too. Because I've seen several movies this year where when the first commercial comes out for the movie, it's certified 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. And that's because there's only been three reviews of it. Hey. So, like, everything, I feel like everything is just pre-planned. So I just feel like I'm just trusting Rotten Tomatoes less and less. Yeah, a lot of people really put a lot of trust into Rotten Tomatoes. And also, I find this really interesting. I was just having a conversation about this the other day. A lot of people don't understand how Rotten Tomato works. Yeah, It's a compilation of a bunch of movie reviewers' scores to create this score in the sense of anything rated 6 or, six or higher, 6 out of 10 or higher, is a positive review. Anything lower than a 6 is a negative review. And so you could have 20 reviews and all 20 of them are 6 out of 10s. That's 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Or if you, you could have 
25 out of 10s, and that's a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. But all of those reviewers are saying that it's a very middle-of-the-pack average movie. But on Rotten Tomatoes, that would show up as a 0%, which I don't think a lot of people understand that and understand how that, that's how it works. Well, I always like looking, if you like scroll down generally on the website or like app or whatever, you can see some of like, I guess the highest rated reviews and like the lowest rated reviews. So I like seeing the extreme sides of like people that absolutely love it and the people that absolutely hate it. Just like out of curiosity. Well, Rick. Apologize for my, my run rant. That's what we're here for. We love the Rick rants, you know? Gotta have a little Rick rant every once in a while. Just a few notes I wrote down for my bads. I didn't like the subversion of expectations, kind of what I talked about earlier. Again, it makes that creative choice. It really decides what it wants to say. But to be marketed and feel like it's supposed to be some sort of action thriller and to really subvert your expectations like that um, was kind of lame as an audience viewer. Um, and also, just like with all of the flashbacks and all of the cuts into like daydream sequences and then like his suicidal attempts, it was kind of confusing to follow along in a way of figuring out what's real, what's not. And also even just the cutting into things after the violent act has taken place, like at the climax, you're wondering like, did he do this? Did the girl do this? Like, it's it's never super clear. Like, you know what it's about, you know what it's trying to say, but it still doesn't make sense, at least for me. And so for that, I have to give some bad points and ugly points. Park, I completely agree with your bad points. Who would have thought? <laughs> Who would have thought, Rick? You agree with all my bad and ugly points and none of my good points. <laughs> I do think, but when you said the subversion of expectations, it's something I didn't think about, right? I, when we watch movies, um, I like doing it after the movie because trailers can spoil movies a lot. Um, after I watched the movie, I watched the trailer for this movie. That's where I saw the hashtag Bring Your Hammer. It does set it up like I'm just about to watch like Taken 4. Yeah. Or something, right? Like it sets it up like this is going to be like a like a sick action movie and you go into the movie and it's it's literally not at all. Even the hashtag bring your hammer. Like that has I know. nothing to do with the, that's like a hype like action movie, you know. I know, so. for real. To be fair, how would you market this this movie, Rick? Like uh, I don't know. Would what? you market it honestly? <laughs> would you market it as it actually is because who's actually going to show up to that? I don't know. But you like I'm, action and violence? Well, you're getting none of it. Just the aftermath. <laughs> but it's just kind of like just going to like a a Michelin star restaurant and then you get served McDonald's. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Rick, you're on the topic of food. Why don't you give our, our audience a little Rick food review? It's been a couple weeks since you did that. I, I heard you had something for us. It has been. I ate it, though, Park. <laughs> What a shame. So we went to Trader Joe's the morning that I watched this. Love TJ's Park. And on the way out, I, I, I'm a sucker, specifically Trader Joe's, generally in grocery stores. I'm a sucker for those random candies that are just right, right there in the aisle. Trader Joe's is really well because they market it as like, oh, this is Trader Joe's candy. It's going to be better. Anyways, I got Jelly Beans, Park. Jelly Beans. And while I was, I literally was watching the movie, eating Jelly Beans. And then probably like 15 minutes in, Joe is just chilling, eating jelly beans. And he's very focused on the jelly beans too. He's like squishing them. He kind of looks like a sociopath doing that though. Like who just squishes jelly beans and stares at them. Anyways, ate all the jelly beans. Don't have them tonight. They were fantastic though. I Trader Joe's jelly beans. Best jelly bean 
that I've ever had. Way better than Jelly Belly. But doesn't he not like green jelly beans? Wasn't that something he said in the film? I think it was. Would you say that you connect with Joe's character now that you both relish in jelly beans? My, the worst jelly bean flavor, and like, obviously they make those jelly beans that are just disgusting flavors. I think the worst jelly bean flavor that's in like your typical jelly bean package is the buttered popcorn flavor. I'm not a big jelly beans guy, but uh, that does sound gross. But it's like everything's like kind of fruity, and then there's just a buttered popcorn <laughs> that's in there. Just to throw you off your toes. So I would say, I guess I connect, we both hate a jelly bean. I don't really know what the green flavor is of the, the Trader Joe version, so I don't know what I ate. I was wondering what your food review was going to be. I thought it was either going to be jelly beans, or it was going to be um, about diner food at the very end. Oh, I didn't even think about that. What diner do you, do you think they were in a Waffle House? Or a Denny's? Or an IHOP? I mean... I just feel like things like that just, like, happen in IHOPs. That does seem like an IHOP thing, doesn't it? Imagining that you're going to kill yourself, that's IHOP. Physically wanting to punch someone in the face, that's Waffle House. Where does Denny's fall into this? Just there for a good time? I just feel like Denny's, yeah, Denny's just there for a good time. I just feel like you walk into IHOP and, you know, you're like you're not in heaven or hell. You're just kind of chilling. You're like, why am I here? Why am I here? But not, not, you're not specifically asking why you're here in IHOP. You're asking why are you here in life? Yes. A am I ever really here? Yeah, ex existential crisis. That's the spot to hit up. What we like to do at the end of every podcast is have some sort of fun game or activity to take part in. And Rick, do we have a good one today? W what's our game, Park? It's a quiz, but it's not just any quiz, Rick. It's... A quiz about, did Joaquin Phoenix say this, or was it one of his characters? Oh my gosh, that's, that's so yeah. tough. <laughs> <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix can say some pretty out there things, just like the characters he plays. So uh, we're going to test our luck, test our skill, and see whether Joaquin Phoenix said it in real life or not. Park, who made this? Uh, my lovely wife and our producer made this 30 minutes ago, Rick. Actually, it was just published. It's live as of 20 seconds ago. You love to see it. She's been working on it as we've been filming the first part of our podcast. So, rush call. But we had to have a fun activity for all of our listeners out there. I wait on the edge of my seat every single week for this activity. Let's get in. Let's do it. All right, first one. All of you, the system that knows so much, you decide what's right or wrong. The same way that you decide what's funny or not. Joaquin Phoenix or a character played by Joaquin Phoenix? If that's not the Joker, I'll be really mad at myself. Yeah, that's what I think it is, the Joker, too. So I'm gonna, so we're going to agree a character played by Joaquin Phoenix? Yeah. Rick, we're correct. It was from the 2019 film Joker. That would have been wild if as he said that. <laughs> that, would been, that would have been like a real way to start the quiz right there. But she, she started us with an easier one. Oh, I love it. A little softball. All right. We feel entitled to artificially inseminate a cow and steal her baby. Joaquin Phoenix or a character played by Joaquin Phoenix? That feels like something he would say. Rick, I, I know that this is an actual Joaquin Phoenix quote okay. because that is part of his Oscar award-winning speech for Best Actor for the movie Joker. Really? He said that? Yes. <laughs> so, Joaquin Phoenix. This quote comes from Joaquin Phoenix acceptance speech after winning the Oscar for Best Actor for his role as Arthur Fleck in The Joker. Alright. You know men cry too. I actually like crying sometimes. It feels good. Joaquin Phoenix or a character 
played by Joaquin Phoenix. See, like, I know that, like, regular people definitely, like, he could actually say this, but I have to go character. Go in character? I'm just going to follow you on this. I'll go character. Rick, we're right. From the character Theodore Twombly in the 2013 film Her. Okay, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking Her. That actually might be my favorite Joaquin Phoenix movie, Her. Her's great. Her's really good. All right. They should be outside playing Furry Furry Rabbit or Tea Party or something. Joaquin Phoenix <laughs> or a character played by Joaquin Phoenix. That has to be a character thing, right? Like I'm going, I think I'm going character. It feels like he's like talking to... Like a, like a mom or something. Yeah. Correct! Oh this gosh. quote is said by Meryl Harris, Joaquin Phoenix's character in M. Night Shyamalan's 2002 movie, Signs. Signs. I didn't even realize he was in that movie. Yeah, yeah, he is. All right, we got a few more here. Do I have a large frog in my hair? I have the sensation that something is eating my brain. See, like that sounds like him to me. That sounds so crazy. That's got to be him, right? Yeah. Rick, we're right! <laughs> it comes from a quote on a red carpet interview, which Joaquin has stated was an attempt to spice up the typical interviewer questions. It's <laughs> a good way to spice it up, Rick. Act weird. It is. We're, uh, I think we're four for four right now. We're really killing it. I, I want to be perfect here, Parker. All right. Do you know what paradise is? It's a lie. A fantasy we create about people and places and as we'd like them to be. Joaquin Phoenix or a character by Joaquin Phoenix. That one's hard. That one's hard because this could easily be in something like her. Like, it could easily be one of these types of roles. I'm going to go with you, Park. Whatever, whatever you think is what I'm going to agree with. It feels like something a character would say. Let's go character. I think I'm like... Rick, I'm I don't want to do this. Don't, you got you to gotta be all in with me because I don't want to be the one to get this wrong for us. I'm all in, Park. Character. Character. Rick, we're right! Oh, my gosh. <laughs> this quote I, comes from Joaquin Phoenix's character, Joe. And you were never really here. The oh, movie, movie. movie <laughs> goes to show you a lot about our opinions on this movie, huh, Rick? Oh my gosh! <laughs> if we had got that one wrong, that would have really summed it all up. That would have been. Hey, our podcast can still live, Park. Now that now that it says that, it actually does sound familiar. All right, last one. I've been preparing for my role as Medusa, Joaquin Phoenix. Or a character played by Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, Park, is this a trick or is it not? It's I don't like know. A, it feels like it could be him, but it this could be a trick. <laughs> no, it's the last one, so it's supposed to be tricky. I'm gonna go with Joaquin Phoenix. You want to go with Joaquin Phoenix, or are you thinking the other way? I guess we we both have to agree and go all in. Yeah, we do. Okay. Um. So you're going with it's not a trick. I, I don't. Yeah. I'm going right, with it's not a trick. I'm, I'm with you, Park. I'm with you. Are you sure? I'm with you. Alright, this is it. This is for all the marbles. 100%. I don't think we've ever gotten 100% on any of the quizzes we've done. We have not. But Rick, today is that day! 7 out of 7! Woo! Gosh, I really thought this would be some random character that he had. I love it. Joaquin Phoenix. We have no idea where this quote comes from, but it's out there and attributed to Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> You scored a better than 100% of all other quiz takers. Rick, we are the peak of the peak. For a second, I thought it just we scored better than 100%. 
No, we scored better than 100% of all the other quiz takers because we are the only people to have taken this quiz. Parker, there there is few times in my academic life that I ever scored 100%. This is one of those few times. Rick, pat yourself on the back because it doesn't get much better than this. We'll never score another 100% again. Let's wrap this thing up, Park. We're going to wrap this thing up now, Rick. Uh, We're at the end of our podcast. At the end of every podcast, we like to give our listeners, our viewers, a pass or recommend on the film. I'm not sitting on the edge of my seat because I think I know exactly where you're going with this, Rick. So why don't you go ahead and go first? Park, I will never, ever, ever pass a movie more than this. And when I say that, Park, I, I would pass almost every single... Marvel movie. I think I've never seen She-Hulk. I've never interested in seeing, watching She-Hulk. It looks like a disaster. I'd watch She-Hulk rather than watching this movie. This is the biggest, this is the biggest pass I think I've ever had. Yeah. I have had several passes. I've had several movies that I would not watch again. I would watch those movies two more times before I would watch this movie. How many, how many passes have you had? I don't know. We have to figure that out. Yeah, we have to go back to the record. How about you, Park? So, you know, there are some redeeming qualities about this movie, and I really applaud the filmmaker for trying to do something different, very much making a creative decision and running with it. All that being said, not my cup of tea. I would have to pass this film as well. Uh, I don't think it, it does enough different from any of the other films that we've watched throughout the course of our season one to bring it to a point to recommend where you could just get something similar out of another one of our films that we've reviewed. That was the only right answer, Park. I'm glad you did it. We can still, I can still be your partner. I can still co-host this podcast. With I you. didn't know so much was writing on my past to recommend there. It was a secret. Why don't you go ahead and tell everyone what our movie for next week is. We have finally made it to present day. We are in the modern decade, the 2020s. What movie are we watching for next week's podcast. Park, we are watching The Invisible Man. The Invisible Man, Rick. I remember when this thing was out. I never got a chance to go see it in theaters, but it was on my list. Just never got to it. This was a, uh, it's a COVID times movie, isn't it? Yeah, 2020. 2020. COVID. I think it was right before, it came out right before, like, the world shut down. I watched this movie during COVID. I watched this movie and Outer Banks during COVID. Two just... Peak cinema. So I'm excited, excited to look back at this. Yeah, well, that'll be great. We'll have a viewing experience from someone who's seen it and someone who hasn't. So That sounds great. I actually, I do remember this from, from COVID of out of like nowhere in the middle of COVID. It like, like they're hyping up the release of it, I guess, on Apple and all that stuff. And it felt That's really right. Weird. I remember it was one of those ones that had the, uh, the quickly to streaming. That was kind of like what started all that during the COVID times, like straight to streaming. Dude, I love movie theaters, but... I loved I loved everything about that. That everything was just I could just watch it instantly. I totally disagree with you, Rick. But <laughs> that's a fight for another day because we are at the end of our podcast. We are. This has been Two Dudes One Movie Podcast, the podcast where two dudes dive into cinematic masterpieces from a different decade each week, from black and white classics to modern day blockbusters. We'll be covering it all. Thank you so much for everyone who listened, who tuned in, who stuck around to the very end. We appreciate you all. We're coming close to the end of our season. We've got a few more episodes left, and we're so excited to go the rest of the way with you all. So thank you so much for listening. And hey, even 
if you didn't like what we had to say, you don't like the podcast, just next time you're leaving your house, just say, hey, Alexa, turn on our podcast. And then, like, you don't have to hear it, but we still get some views. Maybe you like us as people, maybe you just don't like what we have to say. I love that. Please listen to us even if you're not listening. That's all we ask for. All right. Till next week, guys. See ya. Two Dudes, One Movie is an independently created podcast. Like, rate, follow, and subscribe wherever you listen. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube where we will post full video recordings of each episode. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast. Thanks for watching.